0: Our first uh, scripture reading is from the New Testament. It's one of those letters uh, that the Apostle Paul sent to the church of Philippi. It's from the book of Philippians. The second chapter, verses 5 through 11, it is the belief that this is an ancient hymn, an ancient hymn, but it is a perfect uh, scripture for us as we think about uh, Christ coming incarnate. And Paul says this, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second uh, scripture reading is the uh, Christmas story as it comes to us from Matthew's gospel, Matthew uh, chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. Thanks be to God. I love the story that's told of the big college football lineman who flunked an exam and thus became academically ineligible to play in the big bowl game. And so he went to his professor and said, You gotta help me. You've got to give me another chance. And the professor told the student that he would see what he could do. Well, they wound up convening an academic appeal board, and it was a really big game, and they wanted to win the big game, and they said, listen, we're gonna give you three questions. If you answer the questions correctly, we'll let you play in the game Saturday. Question number one, name the two days of the week that begin with the letter T. They said, oh, today and tomorrow. <laughs> I said, well, close enough. Question number two, how many seconds are there in a year? He said 12. They said 12? So, yeah, January 2nd, February 2nd, March 2nd. <laughs> well, whatever. Number three, question number three, you got to get this one right. How many Ds are there in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer? He said 359. They said 359, where'd you get that? He said, well, count them. dee 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 you know, the first service liked that a lot better than you guys, I'm just, I have to compare. Well, instead of a red nose like a Rudolph, we have red cheeks of guilt, shame, embarrassment, and that all too often affliction called not good enoughness. Friends, the good news of Christmas is that God rushes to meet us when we are most unlovable. The Christian writer G.K. Chesterton has written, to love means loving the unlovable. To forgive means pardoning the unpardonable. Faith means believing in the unbelievable. Hope means hoping when everything seems hopeless. And that is why Jesus Christ came. That is the message of Christmas. This morning, we are looking at the second in my sermon series, throughout this Advent season, on the colors of Christmas. And this morning, we're going to be looking at Christmas through red-colored glasses. But before we dig in, I invite you to join me in a moment of prayer. Let us pray. God, we pray that you would prepare our hearts to hear what it is we need to most listen to from you. But Lord, instead of just Hearing this as information, we pray that it would transform us, that it would change us from the inside out to be the kind of people that you've called us to be, faithful followers of Jesus Christ in word and deed. May it be so for each and every one of us today as we pray it in Christ's holy name, amen. So the Apostle Paul shares something with us that I think it's important to share with you. It's one verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. It's a, it's a paradoxical statement that kind of lies at the heart of the gospel. Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. Now notice, he didn't say, if I am weak, then I am strong. He says, when I am weak then I am strong. And the paradox is that when we operate in our own strength, what we do is we often shove God away because we think that we can do it on our own and make it by ourselves. I remember when my daughter Emily was very, very young and we were late one morning trying to get her to preschool. And so I decided that I'd try to hurry her along and help her by putting her sneakers on for her. And I remember her looking at me and saying, Daddy, I can do it all by myself. I think most of us have learned the hard way that that is simply not true. It is when we are small and frail and weak that God enters the void of our weakness with his almighty power. And you know, when I finally come to the place that I'm okay with that, then I become strong in the Lord. If you don't believe me, just look at some of the examples in the Bible. Look at the people that God used. There was stuttering and stammering Moses who had this speech impediment. There was Jeremiah, the prophet, who had a a first-class inferiority complex. There was Elijah, who had manic, depressive tendencies. Simon Peter, who was so impulsive. The Apostle Paul, who was crippled by this mysterious thorn in the flesh. And then, we come to the Christmas story with Mary and Joseph. Oh, it was your classic boy meets girl. Joe loves Mary, and I bet that this carpenter had a picture of both of them as a wallpaper background on the screen of his phone. Joseph had plans, and he had hopes, and he had dreams for them as a couple. Who knows, maybe he had talked about using those carpentry skills and and building a dream house in which they could live. Not long after that, everyone saw an engagement picture of them in in the Nazareth Gazette. It was also a time in that young couple's life when they registered their pattern down at one of the local department stores. Lord and Taylor, no doubt. <laughs> the point is this. Joseph and Mary were counting down the days until they would be united within the covenant of marriage. The wedding service was planned, the caterer was booked, and the, and the cake was ordered. But that dream of a lovely marriage becomes a nightmare on Elm Street. Because Mary utters a phrase that changes everything. She says, Joseph, I'm pregnant. I want you to put yourself in Joseph's shoes for just a moment. He knows that there's no way that he could be the father. And so that heart of love is waking up to this reality that there's something growing inside of Mary and he now is red-faced with embarrassment. And so the Bible says that Joseph was unwilling to expose Mary to public disgrace and planned to dismiss her quietly. But then we have that marvelous scene in which an angel of the Lord comes to him in a dream with a plan to save the world. The angel says, Joseph, with your heart so right, won't you take pregnant Mary to be your bride tonight? And we think that Mary was probably about 14 or 15 years old when she gave birth to Jesus. And that means that Joseph may have well been around 17 years old. So that would be like a ninth grader marrying a high school senior, and this was with a girl who was pregnant before they were even married. Now, we have to wonder. We have to ask the question, God, what in the world were you thinking This was not just some run-of-the-mill baby. This was the infinite infant. This was the once and for all revelation of God revealed in human flesh. If ever there was a baby that should have been born to a king and a queen in a palace with with satin sheets and and satin pillows, it had to be this child. Instead, God enters the world through a problem pregnancy. Pregnancy. God does not come wrapped in nice linens. Jesus is born without the benefit of soap and water and an epidural. Instead, he's bundled in cloth rags and placed in a feed trough where he lay among the smell, of the manure, and farm animals. Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, you heard me read it, God humbled himself. In other words, he came in weakness. He made himself nothing. So look at it this way. A humble God chose a humble carpenter along with a humble teenage girl to star in the drama of his humiliation. And I think that is what Jesus is saying to you and me this morning. God has not changed the way in which he works. God still camps himself right in the midst of our human weakness. So whatever weakness that you think you have this morning, believe it or not, it may be your secret weapon. God uses people just like you and me in our weakness. Joan Osborne sings that song, What if God were one of us, just a stranger on the bus, trying to find his way home? At Christmas, God became one of us. He took the bus, and the yearnings of this entire world are met in the baby born in Bethlehem, is the savior of the world you see the great story of christmas is that jesus came for the outcasts of life the blind lepers tax collectors even the movers and shakers of that time like nicodemus the pharisee and the apostle paul he also came for shepherds now you've heard me talk about shepherds before you know that they were extremely negligent in keeping the law of moses In fact, a shepherd's testimony was not even admissible in a court of law. No shepherd was ever going to win the Templeton Prize for religion. You wouldn't want your daughter dating a shepherd. They never went to church. They lived on the fringe of town and on the fringe of society. And yet, and yet, the angel of the Lord appeared to them and and said, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. For today in the city of David, a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. At Christmas, God reached down to the bottom of the barrel and he made them the apple of his eye. You know, as Christians, you can take away the parties and the punch bowls and the poinsettias and all the festivities of Christmas because it all boils down to one thing. We are celebrating the fact that God, the God of the universe, once chose to reveal himself in human flesh and red blood for 30 years. Three years. Somehow, without diminishing his deity one iota, God took on full humanity. He is Emmanuel, God with us. But have you ever wondered why? Why in the world would God do that? Well, I think I know the answer. It's because God determined that there's just no sterile way to deal with the ugliness of our sin and the brokenness of this world by staying at arm's length. See, whenever we sin, there's this chasm that's created and it separates God from us. The Christian writer Dorothy Sayers said it this way, sin is a deep interior dislocation of the soul. And I think that's true. Because whenever something is dislocated within us, it means it's off-center, it's out of alignment, and needs to be reset. A little over 10 years ago, November of 2011, I was playing basketball at the YMCA. I went up for a shot, I came down, I landed awkwardly, and I broke my fibula, which is the lower bone of my leg, and I dislocated my ankle. I need to tell you, I don't think I've ever experienced pain like that before in my life. It was excruciating. And you know there's something wrong when your leg's like this and your foot is like this. Well, what was only a four-mile hospital ride seemed to take forever. But fortunately, there was an emergency room doctor there in Raleigh, North Carolina, who was able to pop my ankle back into place so that my leg was straight and aligned with my foot. But what if the dislocation isn't in our foot or shoulder or hip our elbow what if it's something else what if it's someplace deeper what if it's in our hearts the solution is still the same it has to be reset our lives have to be re-centered on jesus christ jesus christ came to live among us and for us and for our salvation the angel said to joseph you shall name him jesus for he will save his people from their sins how many hockey fans out there good thank you thank you Jen. in hockey the word save has a very specific meaning a save is when the goalie stops the puck from going in the net behind him So the goalie sort of becomes the last line of defense for his team. And sometimes goalies are called upon 25 times, 35 times, and even 45 times to make acrobatic saves to try to keep the puck out of the net to help their team win. In other words, the goalie saves his team for the day. Well, Friends, Jesus the Savior welcomes us to the table today. And the Savior is here to welcome you and welcome me in all our weakness so that we go from darkness to light, from the power of death to the power of life, from the power of Satan to the power of God. And God meets us here. And he transforms every inch of our lives so that we are made new. So, friends, let's come to the table this morning where God promises to meet us and lead us to the promise of life beyond life. Glory be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. Lord God, we do want to have a heart. For you because we know that you care for us at the deepest and most intimate level of our lives. We thank you for your divine love that reaches down into the very depths of our being and heals even our deepest hurts. We thank you that you are the God who comes to us in our weaknesses. Today we lay before you our red faces, those shortcomings, the fears, the doubts, the guilt, the shame, all of it. We bring to you these things about us that kind of hold us prisoner and, and, and cause us to, to stay awake and lie at the ceiling at night. God, we believe that you can turn these, these scars into stars, that the, the very things we despise and, and fear about ourselves, you can transform into untold blessings for ourselves and for others. O God, transform us with the power of your love. Strengthen us and give us patience so that we may reflect the glory of Jesus Christ to the people around us. And we ask these things in the name of him who came for us and to save us, Jesus Christ, our Messiah and Lord. Amen.